Hello, hello, and welcome to Soccer Made in Portland on OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy. My name is Chris Reifer, and joining me as always, the Timbers and Thorns beat writer for the Oregonian and OregonLive.com, Jamie V. Goldberg. Jamie V., what's going on? Uh, it's been a pretty busy day for me off going, talking to Mark Parsons, talking to Gio uh, Savaresi, been out to Timbers and, and Thorns, so kind of all over the place today, um, but yeah, I, I'm ready to look ahead to this weekend, uh, especially, you know, we got six-point swing in Portland, um, so I think we have a lot to talk about. Yeah, six-point weekend last weekend, there were five games in eight days uh, from last Saturday to this coming Sunday, including uh, Timbers 2 tomorrow evening, we're recording on, on Tuesday uh, evening, uh, Timbers 2 on Wednesday, uh, Thorns on Friday, uh, and then Timbers uh, the first team on, on Sunday. Uh, speaking of Savarese's press conference, since we've we've made fun of this in the past, I, it's only fair to come around on the other side. I thought he was significantly more insightful today than than he has been in many of his press conferences. That was my take sort of watching on, you know, the Internet. Uh, did you agree being there live in, in Living Color? Yeah, I, I would say so. I think... Um... It was interesting to have a slightly different line of questioning uh, this week, given that uh, they finally got a win. Um, and maybe that had him opening up a little bit more. Maybe he, he definitely seemed perfectly fine talking about New York City. He's been um, obviously preparing for them. So I, I don't know the reasons, but but yeah, uh, I, I, I thought there was a lot of interesting stuff he said today. Very good. Yes, it, it was, uh, in, in my view, much more interesting, uh, much more informative going forward. So. Uh, we may hit a number of those points uh, as we make our way through the mental notes this evening here. Uh, but yeah, let's go ahead and do that now. The Timbers, they scored three goals. Minnesota United, they scored two goals. Uh, that means the Timbers win, uh, as you noted. Our predictions, pretty, pretty, pretty good. I called a 3-1 Timbers win with a Fernando Adi brace. Uh, you called a 2-1 Timbers win uh, with the Laris Maviola goal. I will just note that I would have been really close to spot on had the referee's offside flag. Uh, <laughs> well, I, the, the referee's offside flag did not, or the assistant referee's offside flag did not go up, uh, but, but a video assistant referee intervened and nonetheless deprived me of both having the margin and the, the side bet, right? But uh, Jamie, you can give out the points uh, here, but I, I, I think there's some, you know, I think both of us can, can hold our heads high with that one this week. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, you probably got a little bit closer on the the score line with the, with the Timbers uh, getting the three goals. Uh, obviously, I, I didn't get the side bet. I, I picked the wrong defender to score <laughs> some goals. You did. You I, did. I did. Uh, you know that that Alvis Powell goal and an assist would have been worth yeah. a lot of points. That, that would have been one of those old like all the points in the world kind of things. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to give you. S- 16 points and I'm going to give myself uh, nine. All right. 16 to nine. I take the, the points from the Timbers into this week. Uh, coming out of the game, what were you? Were you more encouraged by the result or discouraged by, you know, some of the equivocal and, 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 and kind of bad habits we've seen uh, continue through that performance? What, what was your take? I, I think it's... 
I, I think it's very positive to finally see the Timbers get a win. And I think that's something they can build off of from a confidence perspective, being able to come home, being able to score three goals, being able to eke out that win. I, I think that is important. And if we see them have a better performance uh, against New York, which is going to be a really big test for them. But if we see them take steps forward, I, I think you can look back at this game and, and say, that was a big win for them in terms of confidence and in terms of starting to get them on a little bit of a roll in terms of performances. That said, I am going to say I was a little bit more discouraged by the way the game played out. This is a team that the Timbers absolutely should have beat at home, Minnesota. Uh, it shouldn't have been nearly as hard as they made it. Uh, seeing the Timbers, they've now three games in a row, they've conceded late goals. They dropped results to Chicago and Orlando. They came very close to dropping uh, the result to Minnesota, and that's worrisome. And on top of that, the Timbers, just the amount of goals they've conceded. I think they've, they haven't they have had a clean sheet yet. I believe they've conceded at least two goals in all but one game. Um, the, the rate at which they're conceding goals, uh, even at home, is problematic right now. So the, I, I think there's some positives to be taken away from the game, but... There are a lot of things that you look at it and you don't feel too comfortable with, especially now that they're, as we'll get into, um, going into play with the current best team in Major League Soccer. Yeah, problematic, I think, to say the least. And, and that's why I ultimately answer the question the same way you do. Uh, you know, I mean, not only do, do they concede two goals at home to a team that doesn't score a ton of goals, uh, even notwithstanding the addition of Darwin Quintero, I think it was fairly obvious through the course of the game that Minnesota United's attack was not among uh, the better in MLS. So, you know, that's not exciting uh, to see from the Timbers' perspective. But look, I mean, maybe the most sort of eye-popping statistic of the season is the rate at which the Timbers are conceding goals late in games. After the 75th minute of their, what, six games now to date, uh, the Timbers have scored zero goals total. They have not yet scored in, in, in that final 15 minutes of regulation play. Uh, and they've conceded eight. That is that, that eight that they've conceded in that 15-minute segment, when you look at sort of the chart uh, of 15-minute segments in which teams are giving up goals, no team uh, other than the Timbers in the last 15 minutes of the game has conceded more than five. Uh, and so it's way more than anybody else is conceding in any other 15-minute segment. Uh, in fact, when you look at those eight goals the Timbers have conceded in the in the last 15 minutes of games, that's as many or more goals than 12 other teams have con- have conceded all year in all minutes of all games. And so the the fact that we saw the Timbers concede yet another goal to Minnesota United this time, uh, the you know the the, the this time in, to bring the game to three two, but nonetheless in this late stage is the continuation of a trend that I I think you would have to say, if it continues to continue, will kill the Timbers. Uh, If they're conceding goals like this late in games, they're not going to win games. They're going to draw and they're going to lose a lot of games that they should otherwise win. And if you're doing that, you're not making the playoffs, period. I I mean, you know, everybody talks about how almost everybody makes the playoffs. Well, that's wrong. Only half the teams in the Western Conference, and, you know, I I acknowledge saying only half the teams in the Western Conference is, is sort of what it is. But look, half the teams in the Western Conference will not make the playoffs this year. Uh, and if the Timbers do this, I can guarantee you which one of those halves uh, the Timbers are, are, are going to be at, at the end of, of the season. So it is good they got the win. That is that is nice. They can sort of get that monkey off their back. They can kind of put the, the season opening road trip behind them uh, in, in doing so. 
But when you look at sort of the nuts and bolts of, of, of the performance from the Timbers, I, I don't see a whole lot to be encouraged by from what we saw this last weekend. Uh, we did see the, the Timbers roll out sort of that quasi 4-3-2-1 again last weekend. And I say quasi because the last two times we've seen it, it's only sort of been that 4-3-2-1. That you remember we saw this first in Dallas when the Timbers sort of unabashedly brought out three defensive midfielders, right? There was no question about it. Lawrence Olam, Diego Char, Christian Paredes, they were both sixes or eights. They were all, both all sixes or eights. And the Timbers really did sort of, sort of bunker in. Uh, in Chicago, uh, a week later, it was Chara, Paredes, and, and Flores, all three of whom are definitely central midfielders, uh, all, all three of whom were playing as sixes or eights, but they were playing on, on a little bit more front foot perspective than they were in, in, in Dallas. Those were both bona fide four three two ones, and 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 that's sort of uh, how, how they actually played. The last couple of weeks have been a little bit different because one of the guys in that three level has been Andy Polo. And although he has tucked in and done the work defensively that, that Gio Savarese has asked him to do, when the Timbers have gotten into attacking phases, he's been acting more like a wide midfielder. And so it's not sort of a, he's he hasn't been sort of a true part of a three-man sort of central midfield uh, unit in that three level. So, that you know, that's why I'm saying this kind of the quasi 4-3-2-1 because it looks in moments, it looks in defense, and it looks kind of in transition like a 4-3-2-1, but it doesn't really play out like that in the attack. Nonetheless, we saw it again. Uh, and I think we saw it to some mixed results uh, again. Jamie, how much longer do you think this approach is going to last? Do you think this is something where that's the end of it and, and we're going to see a return to the 4-2-3-1 or there's, you know, 4-3-3 kind of setup we've seen in the past or just something different? Or do you think this 4-3-2-1 might be something the Timbers keep riding for a while? I, I don't think it's here for good, for sure. I, I think uh, some of the things that have been pointed out, and um, I think you pointed out some of these things, but just it, it was clear in this game that Timbers' inability to to kind of get the width they needed in the attack became problematic. And Gio Savaresi ultimately moved to uh, a different formation to kind of deal with that. With the outside backs that the Timbers have, particularly um, with Vita still injured, uh, and having Zarek Valentin at left back, they're, they're not getting the width from both outside backs that they need to to be a f- truly effective, I, I think, in the attack with this formation. So, so I think that element, um, other elements, it, especially on the attacking side, it, there, there are limitations to this. And um, it's something I don't see the Timbers being able to use to be successful for the entirety of the season. That said, I mean, in, in talking to Giovanni Savaresi today, I, it wasn't clear to me that they are for sure moving away um, from this formation this weekend. He He's continued to talk about this formation as the formation the team has uh, been using and been settling into, uh, things like that. And so I wouldn't be surprised to continue seeing it. Um, but I, I think it's... It, it can serve a purpose, but but shouldn't be their long-term solution. And I, I do think Andy Pullo was brought in to be a winger. And at some point, the Timbers should give him more of a run at more of a true winger position where his um, where the talents that he has can maybe better be put on display than they are in a quasi-number eight role. So I, I think it, it will likely end... I think it probably should be done this week. Uh, I, I do not see how the Timbers can can go out uh, and have a reasonable chance of, of putting together much in the way uh, of an attack uh, against an NYCFC team that likes to to possess the ball and, will, and, and possesses the ball with great purpose. 
and uh, and sort of go out with the four three two one and expect to you know have a reasonable foot in the game. Uh, and the reason I say that is, look, you know, I wrote about this on some tough footy after the game, but the way the Timbers were playing that four three two one on on Saturday, you basically opponents basically have to do one thing in order to really kind of break the system and make the Timbers play almost road like tactics, and that is eliminate Alvis Powell. And, and, and if you can eliminate Alvis Powell in the attack, primarily by forcing him to defend uh, and, and by making him think twice about taking risks in the attack and making him think twice about getting into the attack, uh, then you can really bog down the Timbers pretty substantially and, and, and get them to be very narrow. Uh, if that happens against NYCFC, only one thing is going to happen. <laughs> it's not going to be good for the Timbers. Uh, and, and I think NYCFC is just the kind of team. I mean, look, they, they had... 55% of the ball this last week uh, away to Atlanta United. Atlanta United last year, I think, led MLS uh, in possession, if my memory serves me correctly. Uh, they are a team that imposes their will on games. And if they identify that issue, if they identify that one weakness, sort of sort of that Achilles heel in this Timbers Christmas tree, uh, I, I, as it were, that was, I mean, I really feel like it could have built a better metaphor around with Achilles heel and Christmas tree. That was, that was clumsy and I apologize. Uh, but if they identify that, and I have no doubt that Patrick Vieira will, I think that it just becomes a huge liability for the Timbers. So I do expect the Timbers to go. My guess is back to this sort of a four, two, three, one approach uh, with Polo playing as a true winger. And he's going to have to, you know, in doing so, he's going to have to show why the Timbers brought him in to do that. Uh, but I think that approach just makes the most sense. Uh, in, in, in leading into this game against NYCFC and frankly going forward. I mean, that's sort of how this roster is built. And if they want to do something radically different, that's going to take a more fundamental change to how the roster is built rather than uh, something that, that they can, you know, do right now. But that four three two one, I, I agree with you. It served its purpose. Uh, the Timbers got their use out of it. And, and it may be something that, that they'll bring back uh, from time to time as sort of a change of pace. But I I think it is it is living on borrowed time here. So the Timbers have conceded at least twice in five of six games, as you noted just a moment ago. And, and so I think this raises a little bit bigger question about sort of the health of the Timbers defense and the health of the Timbers back line. And, and, and we can we can roll in uh, both the defensive midfield and and the goalkeeping situation into this discussion. But do you think the Timbers can succeed with? their sort of current personnel uh, in defense. What do you think, Jamie? Yeah, I, I think that they they are capable of succeeding with, the, at least if we're talking about the back line, I, I think they are capable of succeeding with this back line. I think from what we've seen um, overall, uh, after the first two games, Maviola has, has shown well. Um, he, he has made amazing strides after the beginning his opening two games of the season. Um, Bill Tilly Loma, I think overall ha- has shown well. Um, Alvis Powell ha- has been Alvis Powell has been up and down, but is capable uh, of being a- an asset to the Timbers. I, I think Derek Valentine has been uh, as good as you can expect him to be. Um, the problem is that, like you said, they're conceding late goals. They're, they're conceding in big moments. It, this isn't about, these defenders just being bad uh, consistently throughout games. It's about in some big moments, letting down their guard, losing focus, uh, changing the tactics, um, 
to be playing on the back heel a little bit too much, uh, things like that, uh, that are causing them to kind of concede goals in quick numbers late in games. I mean, you look at this last game, Bill Tuiloma scored an own goal. Um, you, you don't want him to do that, but, but it, it happens. Uh, and the Timbers otherwise give up a goal that Jake Leeson should have saved. Uh, the game before, I, I think they give up a goal on a set piece, a, a penalty kick. And um, then I think Tui Loma probably has to do better getting, uh, staying with wire on, on that third goal. Um, but these are big moments that the Timbers are just not doing, uh, just not playing good enough. And I, I don't think it's an overall problem. It's something that I think they are capable of correcting uh, with this personnel. I'm less confident in that. You know, you look at the different ways in which the Timbers are giving up goals, and they're basically giving up goals in every way imaginable. It's balls over the top. It's crosses. It's uh, it's sort of getting broken down uh, in the run of play. It's individual defending errors. And so, I mean, I, I do think that there are significant questions about whether this personnel is, frankly, just good enough. I agree with you that Mabiala has has recovered from his first couple of games of the season, which it looked like he had just forgotten how to play soccer. Uh, but, you know, I mean, uh, you you look overall at, at, you know, going from left to right, Valentin, uh, Tuiloma, Mabiala, uh, Powell, you know, Gleason uh, at goalkeeper. Is there any one of those guys that you would say overall is above average at their position? Is, is an above average starter at their position? Uh, you know, I mean, Alvis Powell in, in 1v1 defending situations is is certainly a plus defender, but he probably <laughs> makes up for that uh, and regresses to the to the mean by 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 the moments in which he is uh, he is inconsistent and, and, and can become a poor team defender. Uh, Laris Mabiala is probably the closest uh, to being above average. But I mean, you look at sort of center backs across starting center backs across MLS, and I'm not sure he's. If he's above average, I, I I wouldn't consider him significantly so. Bill Chuiloma, I I think has had you know a, a decent little stretch of play here, but look, I mean, he, even in this game and, and the own goal notwithstanding, I I think you saw sort of moments where the cracks were starting to show a little bit. There in the first half, there were some runs that he was losing track of. He made up for a couple of them, which is, which is good. But you would rather he not lose track of them to start with. You would rather he not let runners in behind him to start with. Uh, and I thought there were a couple that, that he lost track of altogether in the second half. And so, you know, I mean, uh, although Tuiloma, I think, is an encouraging piece of this team, uh, it has made himself, no doubt, into uh, a nice depth piece and a nice young defensive piece. Uh, I'm not sure I would say he's an above average MLS starting center back right now. Uh, and Zarek Valentin is Zarek Valentin. I mean, he, he's uh, the kind of guy that basically every team in MLS would love to have as depth because he can be a solid backup at, 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 at a couple different positions on the back line. Uh, but, you know, I mean, he's not an above average starter uh, at either right back or left back. Uh, Jake Gleason, I, I think, is a is at best average and, and probably more realistically below average uh, in goal. And, and I think when you have that basically across the entirety of that back five, man, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think they can probably be better than they are. Uh, because, well, they've been terrible. They, they've conceded, what, the second most goals in MLS uh, altogether. Uh, and, and so, you know, I mean, they, I think they can be better than that. But am I convinced that they can be, you know, a good enough defense uh, that, the, that the Timbers will be a good team? 
No, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure I am right now. Okay, let's talk about the injury, et cetera, report. Um, starting with Dirona Spria. This was this fell into the et cetera category, who's a surprising omission from the 18. Jamie Goldberg, you talked to Gio Savarese about that today. What did he say? Yeah, I, I mean, he just implied that that was a decision based on the players winning out in practice and who he felt deserved to be in the 18. Um, he did say that he felt uh, the team had a scrimmage on, on Sunday, the players that did not uh, play in the game. And he said he did feel that Espria uh, showed really well in that scrimmage. Um, they are going to give Espria some minutes with T2 tomorrow. So I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's a it's a Wednesday to Sunday, and I don't know how many minutes Espria gets. So I, I just don't know how that will impact uh, what role they would expect him to play on Sunday. Maybe, maybe it, it's good for him ahead of that. Um, but it, I think it's kind of a wait and see to, to see if he's back in the 18 or what role he's playing. Um, clearly, Savaresi felt uh, for that game that Barnby was a better option for whatever reason uh, in training, which we don't see. Is there, is it fair now to make a little bit more of what was reported during the Orlando game that there was a relatively (laughs) reportedly minor uh, sort of team rules violation that resulted in a fine? He plays in Orlando the next week. He's not even in the 18 uh, after, after they're getting a substitute appearance in Orlando. Is it fair to say there's, you know, a little bit of, of, you know, fire uh, now with Espria, whether it's uh, being in favor with Savarese, whether it's just being out of form, uh, whether it's being unfocused, or do you, or do you think it, it's unfair to sort of couple these two instances? I think, I mean, I think it's tough not to, given uh, everything that's gone on, but but I don't necessarily know if that that's truthfully what's happening. I can understand uh, why that that seems to be the automatic reaction, and I, I don't know for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if that's based on what Savaresi says. There's nothing necessarily that points to that. But since we're not there behind the scenes, um, some of these things are just up to speculation. They are up to speculation, albeit they certainly have lent themselves more uh, to that than, than they necessarily would have to. But be that as it may. Um, what do we know about Vitas? Yeah, this, this one kind of... Uh, I guess we kind of missed this uh, through everything because Vitas had been coming along. I, there was a point, I believe, with sort of the Chicago game where Savarese said he was back and he was fine. And so I, I don't think we really followed up on anything after that. Um, but it appears that this hamstring injury that he's been dealing with since preseason never fully went away. They, they felt good enough to travel him to Chicago, but he didn't play in that game. And then uh, after that, in midweek, they just didn't feel like he was 100%. And so I guess they've kind of backtracked uh, a bit on that rehabilitation. He didn't train today. He was working with a trainer. And Rusty says he expects him to be out for this weekend. So out for this weekend, sort of questionable beyond that. Uh, and then sort of the the, <laughs> the the one we've been talking about now for a long time, it seems, uh, Liam Ridgewell and, and David wants to know, I'm going to steal one from the, from the question segment and, and just drop it in right here. David wants to know, when does the Liam Ridgewell Kabuki end? Uh, what did we learn, if anything, uh, about Ridgewell today? I mean, it felt like the, it, it was coming up that he was going to get reintegrated in the roster. So I've went as far as saying there was a plan to reintegrate him. So I wouldn't have been surprised, um, to see him against New York city FC even. I, but I, I'm not sure at this point, it sounds like, he was supposed to play in that scrimmage on Sunday and his calf was bothering him again. He was back in training Tuesday, but 
now I, I think that raises more questions. Is he healthy enough to play on Sunday? Um, even if he's healthy enough to, to given the calf issues and everything, does Savarese feel like he is a better option uh, over Mabiala or Bill Tuiloma at this point? Uh, so I, I'm just not sure at what point he gets back in this team. The, the coaching staff had a plan for that or has a plan for that. I don't know how this calf injury uh, it works within that plan. Um, but I, I think to get back in, that they have to feel like he's healthy and that he's winning that spot uh, over the players that have been playing um, at, at this point. That feels like where it's at, but obviously uh, again we're not out there every day on the training field so part of it's speculation yeah i mean you know and because of that i think it's impossible to i mean i i guess i don't even know what to make of anything anybody says about liam ridgewell anymore right uh you know i mean you you hear oh it's the calf no the calf is fine oh it's it's questionable for other reasons oh now it's the calf again oh the calf the calf is fine i don't know i have no idea what's going on with this um i'm like sort of at a, at a, at a point of exhaustion slash like exasperation, uh, uh about it. I, I do think it's a, a significant question. I think they're going to keep getting the questions until, you know, he's sort of back on the field, uh, live, you know, <laughs> we see the whites of his eyes. Uh, people are, are, are going to, are going to be looking for proof of life, but yeah, who knows? Who knows? Um, Timbers versus New York city FC, NYCFC. It turns out is really, really, Really good. Uh, through their first seven games, five wins and two draws. That is, again, as I said, really, really, really good. Uh, 17 points. They are unbeaten thus far. They have played a bunch of good teams. They just went on the road to Atlanta, a really difficult place to play, uh, and, and and got a draw and in many ways sort of had Atlanta's back against the wall late in that game. Um, they have been stingy in defense. In, in defense. Uh, they, they attack very well. They've even been without some key pieces. They've been without uh, both Alexander Ring and, uh, and of course, David Villa. Both of them are now back with the team, uh, which he would think would make them seem even better. Frankly, in, in just watching NYCFC as much as I have, you know, the, the, the couple games that I have early in the season, they look as good, if not better, as TFC last season. I, I, I think that's the level of team... Uh, that is coming to Portland uh, this next week. So as I said, they are really, really good. Uh, Jamie Goldberg, do the Timbers stand a chance in this one? I don't think the Timbers do if they play as well as they've been playing. If they continue to have these late game problems, if there there continues to be questions, uh, if teams can exploit the formation they use, um, I, I'm not sure if they do stand a chance. I, I think this is a test for the Timbers is to show whether they can be a better team, whether they have the talent um, and whether they're capable at home of taking their game to the next level, which I think uh, to a, to a new level that I, I think we expect them to be able to, to get to um, th- this is an opportunity to prove they, they can play better. And I don't think they've been good enough uh, in, in the games we've seen so far uh, for it to be reasonable to expect that they're going to get on the field and go toe to toe with the team that's been playing as well as NYCFC. But I think that's why I look at this as a test for the Timbers to kind of see really where they're at at this point in the season. They're at home. Uh, they, they should have that advantage. Um, but can they make the most of that and can they play better soccer to, to hopefully get a result against a team that has yet to lose a game? You know, but home, home away, I think this is still the hardest game they've had to date. 
Uh, I think NYCFC is significantly better than any team the Timbers have faced uh, to date this season. Uh, and so I think this is a, a more challenging game than, you know, Dallas away or, or, or Chicago away or Orlando away or any of those. Uh, and given the way the Timbers fared in that season opening stretch, I agree with you. They're going to have to be better and they're frankly going to have to be significantly better than we've seen them at any point yet this year. Uh, and so if they, I frankly, I think even want to come away with a draw from this game. So I, this is not one that I have a lot of confidence in. Uh, the Timbers are going to have to both defend well and attack well if they want to do that, if they want to come away with anything from this game. And I don't think we've seen them do both of those things at the same time for an extended period of time uh, yet this season. And here we are sitting in the middle of April. So uh <laughs> Yikes. I mean, do they stand a chance? Hey, MLS is weird. Uh, that's basically your best argument for why the Timbers stand a chance in this game. Uh, that MLS is just a, a, a weird thing, and sometimes you get results that are that are kind of wonky. But, man alive, it's hard to see how you get there on paper. Uh, a few Timbers questions before we go. Greg wants to know, how has Alvis Powell not been suspended? Uh, Greg is referring to the play in the second half against Minnesota United in which Powell cleared uh, a ball out of the back. And in the follow-through to, to his clearance, caught Darwin Quintero uh, in the shin. It looked like fairly hard uh, with his studs exposed. Uh, the referee did not call it as foul. It, it, was, it was deflected out for a goal kick, and he gave the goal kick. Uh, because there was a stoppage in play, there was enough time uh, for the video assistant referee to take a look uh, and, and at least pause, sort of pause things so we can take a further look. Uh, the VAR apparently did not. Uh, and, and so it went sort of by the wayside in the course of the game. But Greg wants to know, how has he not been suspended by the disciplinary committee for what Greg thinks should have been sort of an obvious red card? Jamie Goldberg, what's your take here? I, I think that it, it's hard to suspend him. Um, and we'll see if he ends up getting suspended, uh, how this answer looks. But um, I, I think it's a call that could have gone either ways. I, I can see the argument for it being a straight red card, but I can also see the argument for how it, it turned out for it, it not being a foul. I, I mean, it was in his fall through. It wasn't as if he took out the player going, went through the player to get the ball. Um, so I, I think this play is not as clear and obvious uh, as I, I think some people ha are viewing it. You know, and it is only fair to point out that we do see sort of situations in which this is treated differently. You know, a situation like this where it's the follow through to uh, a, a legally played ball is treated differently from a situation where, you know, a, a player is going into a tackle. And, and what I immediately thought of was something like where a guy goes up for to play a bicycle kick or something like that. Hey, look, I mean, you know, attacking players, uh, players that sort of have the ball and, and 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 cleanly win the ball still have a responsibility not to act and not to play in a way that, that unduly exposes their opponents to danger. They can't use excessive force and the like. But the reality is you pretty rarely see red cards given uh, for something like this. So I too, I, I, I totally get the argument where, you know, I mean, somebody's saying, hey, look, Dude ended up sticking his studs pretty hard into another player's shin. That's something that, you know, in, in many, 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 many circumstances is just an, a, a totally unambiguous straight red card. But referees seem to, for for one reason or another, and, and, and I'll get to my guess as to the reason, although I would love to hear uh, from a referee on this point. Uh, but for one reason or another, sort of 
treat you know follow throughs of legal plays of the ball differently uh, from something like a tackle or something like a 50-50 ball. Uh, the, my guess of the reasoning for that is that they deem the force not to be excessive. Uh, and, and it makes some sense. Look, I mean, if you're talking about Powell's force in, in, in making the, the legal play that he made, it wasn't unusually excessive, right? I mean, he kicked the ball. He cleared the ball. I mean, it was the, he used the normal force you would expect to see from any player clearing a ball off the back line. Right. Uh, and so it's not like he went into this, you know, with sort of a, 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 a crazy intent uh, or even with the it went into that kick in a, you know, in an unusually dangerous way. He he kicked the ball. Quintero was there and he caught him, but he was there. And so I, I think there are some referees and this probably includes uh, Jose Carlos Rivero, the referee in this last weekend who would say, no, I mean, the, the force there isn't excessive. The result, sure, is dangerous, but it, it, but the force in creating that result wasn't excessive. There are lots of things over the course of a game that 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 create danger and that can injure a player but aren't necessarily a foul. And I think Rivera would say that this is one of them. But I think you can make the argument otherwise, too. I mean, I think you can make the argument that, hey, you do see guys sort of clip their follow-throughs when they're clearing the ball in, in traffic, so to speak, uh, as Powell was here. And the reason they do that and the reason we expect them to do that is to avoid exactly this. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I would be surprised if he's suspended just because I do think this is one that you can sort of articulate good arguments for why it should even not be a foul at all uh, or why it should be a red card. And, and so I'd be a little bit surprised if the disciplinary committee was unanimous on this point that it should have been a red card. But I wouldn't be surprised at all if they took a look at it. And, you know, I mean, it's not always immediate. In fact, if you're Clint Dempsey, it's extremely not immediate. Uh, that the disciplinary committee would come out with that discipline. So it may be something that yet to watch for uh, as we continue into Wednesday and Thursday. Rob, when will we see a change at goalkeeper for the Timbers, Jamie? I think the argument we'd been making in the first games of the season is that Gleason hadn't done anything really to lose that job. So there wasn't a reason when Adonello got back to full health to, to insert him into the lineup. I think that if they are going to make a change, if those players are are that close uh, in training or Adanella is um, outperforming Gleason at all, I, I think this would be uh, as good of an opportunity as any. Uh, I, I think Gleason made two really huge saves uh, in that game against Minnesota. And I think he's shown that he is a great shot blocker um, there. He can be a great shot blocker in this league. I also think, as I said earlier, that he was responsible um, for Minnesota's first goal. And I think in terms of managing his box, managing his area, I think he had some issues. So I don't think it would be a bad time to maybe see Adonella back in there. But I do think it's going to depend on what's going on in training, which, again, we don't fully know. Yeah, we don't fully know. But I am very much sort of, you know, coalescing around uh, the position that this is going to be a position that at one, at some point or another, the Timbers are going to you know, to not open old wounds, but are, are, are going to look to upgrade. And I would I expect that at the latest, that would be in the summer transfer window because, you know, I mean, yeah, Gleason through much of the, that road trip didn't do anything to, to, you know, lose the spot, but he also didn't anything, didn't really do anything to, to put the spot on lockdown. Um, and, and I think at this point, uh, his strengths and his weaknesses are are, are pretty well defined. Uh, his sort of expected quality, I think, is pretty well defined. And, and 
you know, it's, it's an obvious position on the field uh, at which I think the Timbers would look to upgrade. Um, so, you, you know, I, I wouldn't, I, for the reasons you stated, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Jeff Adonella get uh, a good look now uh, because, you know, now you can sort of identify a game in which Gleason has, has, has really cost the Timbers uh, with respect to the scoreline and with respect to the control of the game. Um, but you know, I mean, even regardless of that, I think Jeff Adonella is a, is largely a known quantity, a uh, good solid backup goalkeeper as Jake Gleason would be as well. Uh, but you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure that he's done anything in a Timbers uniform to show that he is sort of a, a bona fide starting, uh, goalkeeper in, in, in MLS. Danny wants to know Alice Powell's pr- performance this last week, notwithstanding if you know my ability to talk. Uh, I'm going to start that over again because that was horrible. Alvis Powell's performance this last week, notwithstanding, should the Timbers be looking to upgrade at right back or can they finally expect more consistency from the Jamaican? I think that if you're talking about in the summer transfer window, I I wouldn't necessarily think that right back is going to be their priority at at this point. So I, I think Powell probably has this season to try to show that he can have some more consistency. Um, but the lack of consistency is problematic. And with the influx of Tam, with more resources to sort of sign players at this point in MLS, I I do think if Pal continues with this inconsistency, as he has been uh, already this season, very inconsistent, um, this is probably the right time at the end of the year to look to make an upgrade at that position. Um, but But I think if the defense continues to have issues, I'm not sure if... I, right back is the immediate uh, spot that they will look to. I, of course, I, as you were just talking about, I think goalkeeper uh, is a question mark and, and they have to figure out what's going on with their center back situation in the long term as well. So um, for now, I, I expect to continue seeing Alvis on this roster and continue seeing him get starts as long as he is consistent. Um, but, but I think at the end of the season, this, it, this year, depending on how he plays, this might be the time to look to seriously upgrade that position. You know, I I can probably make arguments very, to varying strength uh, that the Timbers should look, you know, should, could be looking to upgrade any of the back six positions from goalkeeper, left back, center back, the two center backs, the the, the right back, or uh, at at number six, um, the as sort of a, a replacement for David Guzman in the summer transfer window, I would not put right back at the top of that list, but I probably wouldn't put it at the bottom either. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I guess I, at this point gone to my head, I would say I'm a little bit doubtful, uh, that that's going to be what emerges as a priority, but I, I, I think it is a candidate uh, at this point. And, and if that, uh, over the course of the next few weeks, you know, maybe, uh, maybe Bill Tuiloma continue, you know, takes another step forward and, and, and puts a lockdown on the left center back position. Maybe Julio Cascante sort of gets a, a little bit more integrated uh, and gets into the center back discussion and, and the Timbers decide now that's not where they want to put their money. Uh, maybe Vitas comes back healthy and, and, and looks a little bit better. Or Marco Farfan takes another step forward. I mean, there, there are all sorts of things that can happen uh, in, in my view over the course of the next couple of months that could change the Timbers thinking in this regard. Uh, that, you know, I, I, I don't know if I would be comfortable in saying it, it's that right back is more than sort of a candidate. 
for 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 being upgraded in the in the summer transfer window. It wouldn't surprise me if the Timbers do uh, upgrade a couple of those spots. I you know I guess maybe I'm just a little bit doubtful that it would be right back, but I definitely think it's possible. Caruso wants to know: Is Christian Paredes good? And what are your thoughts on Bill Tuiloma at defensive midfield? Yes, uh, I, I think Paredes is good, and I think he's only 19. Um, I think he's shown quite a lot already uh, coming into a starting role with the Timbers. I, I think he hasn't been perfect, uh, but he has a big upside, and given that he can has already shown that he can contribute in the starting lineup at the age of 19, I, I think that is exciting for the Timbers. I have not seen Tui Loma. Um, I, I know he came in originally as a defensive midfielder, as more of the primary position, I but I don't feel like I've seen necessarily enough of him. And that's just not the role he's really played uh, since he came to Portland to, to really know um, whether that would be a good fit for him in this lineup. I, I think Christian Paredes is one of the unambiguous sort of high points of, of <laughs> what have been sort of a low point filled season thus far. Uh, you know, for a 19 year old, he has a pretty good, good poise on the ball. He He's a pretty quick decision maker. You just had two assists in this game this last weekend, for goodness sake. Uh, I, I think he has a decent understanding of how to play as a central midfielder. Uh, I, I, I think the defensive side of his game can can take some development. Uh, but, you know, I mean, he's 19. That, that, that's certainly what you would expect. And I, I think he's developing a little bit of a relationship now uh, with Diego Chara in, in central midfield. And so uh, I think Christian Paredes is good. I, I think he's one of the more exciting young players I've seen in a Timbers uniform ever. Uh, and, and I, you know, I mean, the question for me is not whether, uh, Paredes is going to lose his spot to, you know, Bill Tuiloma or, or anybody or, or anybody else. It, it's really whether Paredes is going to keep, uh, that spot in central midfield, even when David Guzman gets healthy here in a few weeks. Uh, and so, you know, that to me is the answer to the question. I, I think Tuiloma has carved out his niche. Uh, now uh, as a center back, I think he's done well in doing so. Uh, I'm not sure it's necessarily in, in a starting spot, but he's unquestionably now going to be in contention uh, to be either pushing for a starting spot or, or, or to be the sort of the first center back uh, off the bench. And, and given the, you know, the freaking chronicles of, uh, of Liam Ridgewell's, uh, you know, calf, that's not a bad spot to be in. Uh, so I, I don't think Tui Loma really factors significantly into that defensive midfield discussion in light of his other niche. Uh, and I think Paredes is, is very much, uh, in, in sort of the, the discussion to be the Timbers first choice, uh, in central midfield alongside Diego Chara thorns, two goals, Orlando pride, only one goal. That means the thorns win. Um, as we noted, uh, the Thorns came away with their second win in the season, second win out of three, uh, in their home opener, uh, in addition to sort of un- the, the unveiling, uh, uh, of the, of the, the championship, what is it? Banner? I, I don't even yeah. know what to call it when it's not like a cloth banner banner. I mean, we, we would call it a banner if it's a cloth thing in like the, the Moda center, right? Um, sign, whatever it is, they unveiled it. It was very nice. Uh, and, and then they went on to, to get a win with which to christen it. Our, our predictions, I called a 1-0 win with a Christine Sinclair late winner. Uh, you called a 3-1 win for the Thorns with a Ana Maria Cernogorsevic. I was there last week, man. I nailed it last week, and now I, I lost it. Uh, but nonetheless, you called her getting a goal. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give the points for these ones. One zero, you know, I guess I got the win correct and I got the margin 
Uh, but it was a little bit higher scoring game than I thought. And Sync did not get the late winner. Uh, all told, I, I don't think there's a great degree of difficulty there in calling a, a, a one goal win. So I'm going to give myself 7.362 points. Jamie Goldberg, you also missed the side bet. You called the 3-1 win a little bit off on the margin, but you did get the win. I'm going to go ahead and give you 5.1111117 points. Is that fair? Sure. Yes. Okay. Okay. That's that's how we break down. Uh, no great degree of difficulty for either of us, but hey, you know, I mean, again, I think we can hold our heads high uh, in saying we we more or less got things about right. Uh, you know, the, the thing that, that I was really thinking about coming out of this game, and, and we've seen it now pretty consistently over the course of a couple of years, but how is it, do you think, the Timbers control games thorns. like they did on uh, the Thorns? My goodness. The, uh, podcasting <laughs> and, and and otherwise just speaking words <laughs> is a lot harder than it's made up to be, than it's, than it's cracked up to be. Uh, how do the Thorns control games like this when they are so, so shorthanded? They, they had Tobin Heath on the bench, uh, but it seems doubtful that she was ever going to sort of play a meaningful role in the game. Uh, you know, the starting Tyler Lucy and Mallory Weber up top, uh, Celeste Bure, uh, at, at, at uh, in defensive midfield, Hubley on the back line. You know, I mean, they they were missing a bunch of players. So was Orlando. To be perfectly fair, they were missing their Brazilian, their significantly, their significant Brazilian contingent. But nonetheless, the Thorns really sort of dictated the way this game went. How have they done that so consistently uh, over the course of the last couple of years, Jamie? I mean, part of it's talent. They they still have players like Christine Sinclair, Lindsay Horan in there. And I, I think both those players have been stepping up this season. I mean, they've added all the goals and assists for the Thorns so far. So I think having some really top-notch players right there in the, the middle of your lineup is important to that. But I, but I also think that Mark Parsons has done a really good job of making sure every player on his roster really understands what role they're expected to play and really buys into that. This Thorns team just seems to, even when they have some players that wouldn't necessarily be on the field, they just seem to know exactly what the game plan is, exactly what the system is, and be able to go out and execute that. And they've done that with consistency uh, since 2016. And so along with the talent, the Thorns are immensely talented. Um, and even when they're missing players, they still have some world-class players on the field. Um, but, but besides that, I, I just think that Mark Parsons deserves a lot of credit here and the players deserve a lot of credit here for being able to really buy into that system, be, buy into the philosophy and go out and execute. I think one of the, one of the things that's – so I think this is two things. First of all, the Thorns not only have, you know, sort of talent on, on the roster, but their talent is pretty versatile. You know, you've got – Lindsay Horan, who can play, I mean, every position on the field, <laughs> but, but, but I mean, plays at a very high level, everything from, from, you know, every central uh, position from six to nine. Right. Uh, and, and so, you know, I mean, you have a very versatile player, uh, an excellent versatile player there. You've got Christine Sinclair, who can be a, a forward. Uh, she can be a second forward. She can, she can be a number 10. She can play a little bit deeper in, in, in midfield. Uh, but so, you know, and, and, and Emily Sonnet, she, she can step into midfield and play as a six. She can drop back and sort of be a focal point on, on, on the back line. And so they have excellent players. That, that is true. But they also have excellent players who Parsons can sort of massage their roles around in order to sort of fit what the team needs. And he does just a brilliant job of it. I mean, you look at how he sort of deploys his teams 
that how he sort of devises his schemes and his systems going into these games. And the sort of consistent feature is he is always putting, you know, people like Sinclair and people and, and players like Haran uh, and, and even Sonnet uh, as it was, as it was in, in, in this last game in sort of the, the central roles, right? And so, you know, I mean, everything in this game, for example, ran through Lindsay Haran and she just dominated it. She was the best player on the field and, and it wasn't even close. Uh, Alex Morgan, you know, it was the most famous player on the field. She wasn't even near uh, the influence of, of, of Haran uh, on this game. But he always puts those players in, in, in the roles that the, the team needs to rely on. And then, as you said, he is just very clear. And when he's having to sort of plug in a Celeste Bure, for example, he he didn't give Bure 18 different things to think about. It was, okay, you're going to be the player that's going to sit in front of the back line. I, I, I basically want you uh, in possession to find Haran uh, or, or, or to feed it wide to one of our uh, to, to one of our wingbacks and, and gives her just a very crystal clear role with three center backs to help her behind, uh, defensively behind her. You, you look at somebody like, like Midge purse, even though, you know, she arguably is getting herself into a spot where she may be starting, uh, even when the thorns are at full strength, even after Ellie Carpenter gets into town. Uh, and, and I mean, it was just very clear what he wanted purse to do. I want you, I want you to run out to sort of run at, uh, Orlando, whenever you have an opportunity, I want you to get in behind and I want you to be pretty aggressive uh, from that, that right wing back position. So you, it's so much easier when you're sort of plugging in squad players. If you're plugging them into positions where, as you put it, their roles are, are both clear and they're relatively simple and you give them this sort of a limited range of things that they need to do in order to make the system work. And, and he's just brilliant at designing systems on which he can rely on what stars he has and nonetheless plug players in. I mean, you know, look at uh, what he did last year with Sykes on that as basically a right wing back, Uh, not anywhere near uh, her, her best position, but nonetheless, he got it to a point uh, where she was a, a a sort of serviceable and helpful piece uh, of a championship team at that spot. I, I, so I, I just give him all the credit in the world for that. That is excellent, excellent coaching. And I, and I think it is, earned the thorns i mean it's safe to say tons <laughs> of points now uh over the course of the last couple of years um okay uh tobin heath you reported this today jamie goldberg tobin heath is back she was on the bench against the pride she did not uh get into the game it sounds like she is expected in the game uh on friday against the spirit what do you think reasonable expectations are for tobin this weekend yeah mark said that she he absolutely expects her to get minutes, um, but but he realistically expects her to get a good run out. Uh, what that looks like, I, I think 30, uh, maybe 30 to 45 minutes even seems like um, an optimistic uh, thing to predict. Um, I, I don't see her starting and going 90 in her, in her first game or anything like that. I, I think they're going to be careful with her. Um, but, but I do think when he says he's going to try to get her a real run out, uh, something like 30 minutes, uh, to me sounds reasonable. Yeah. I mean, you, you typically think this first game off of an injury, it's going to be somewhere in the ballpark of 15 to 30 minutes. And so that is going to be my expectation for Heath heading into this game. But, you know, I mean, that, that's a, a potentially game changing piece, uh, for the thorns to put on late, uh, in, in that game, uh, against the spirit. Uh, that was the good injury news that the Thorns got today. They also got some bad news, and that is that Haley Rosso has been hurt uh, in playing with uh, with the Australian national team. 
this is sort of the second injury kind of thing generally uh, that we've had with her uh, over the course of the uh, of the last few weeks. The first turned out to be relatively minor. Uh, this one, it looks like, is going to be a little bit more of a uh, of a thing. What do we know about that, Jamie? Yeah, the, the reports that were out there coming out of uh, Australia were that she had injured her knee uh, and that she'd be out for about a month. Um, the Thorns, at this point, I don't have uh, any update from their side, but it does sound like she is arriving in Portland Saturday night and, and is going to... I, I, Forgetting the exact day, I think it was maybe Monday, is going to then see the, a doctor. Um, so within a few days of arriving, he's going to see a doctor. And at that point, uh, the Thorns are going to be able to have a better idea of what this injury is. So we don't fully know. It's a, the, the initial report we have out of Australia is a month-ish. Uh, but we don't fully know what that that's going to be. Uh, they are going to be though looking to get players back, sort of in a relatively sh- in relatively short order. Whether that's Carpenter, get her in, integrated and involved uh, toward the end of the month. Am I remembering that right? When it, her contract will go into effect? Yeah, I, I think the goal was to have all the players integrated before the Utah game, uh, which is the game after the Washington game, I believe. So. Yes, the the game after the Washington game. Uh, Carpenter has to have her 18th birthday before she is able to join it, but it is coming up in the next week or two, if my memory is correct. Andresinha will be coming back into the team uh, after being with Brazil on, on international duty. And so those reinforcements are coming. Uh, Tobin Heath getting healthy. That reinforcement is coming. Uh, Ana Maria Cernogornovic, um, her, uh, her, 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 you know, she is now in the team. Uh, she is getting integrated and we could even see her start, uh, this upcoming weekend. So those re- reinforcements, even if, uh, Rosso is going to be a little bit delayed are nonetheless coming, but first a selfie. Well, okay. Less a selfie than thorns versus spirit. That is Friday at seven 30. Uh, the spirit are a team that, that have, been you know had I I would say an equivocal start to the season, uh, a couple losses, one win, uh, but but they had a pretty heavy loss at North Carolina, four uh, two, in, in in which they shipped goals defensively this last weekend. Is that about what you expect to see this from the Spirit team coming to Portland uh, on the weekend? That a, a team that is vulnerable uh, defensively and the Thorns can get at. Yeah, I I, I think that's um, probably accurate based on what we saw um, in North Carolina, but I, I do think that this is a spirit team that has a lot of talent and, and hasn't necessarily shown everything that they can be yet. So um, I am expecting this to be a game that the thorns uh, can win as we'll get into. Um, I, I would be surprised to see a result with the thorns playing at home where they've been so dominant uh, against a spirit team that has struggled a little bit of hope in the season for the thorns, not to be able to find a way to get, get a win here. But uh, I think the spirit team is better um, and is going to be better this season than they've shown so far. Especially in the attack. You yeah. would think the, the spirit team is going to be quite a bit better than they were uh, last season. But nonetheless, you know, I mean, if you come to Portland with defensive frailties, you know, we've seen what Lindsay Horan can do to you. Um, okay, let's just get right to it then. Let's go to predictions Thorn versus Spirit to start off with Jamie Goldberg. What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, uh, I'm going to predict uh, Thorn's 2-0 win. Um, and Heath is going to come on uh, in her 15 to 30 minutes or, or whatever it is uh, and get an assist on one of those goals. 
2-0 with the Tobin uh, debut, re-debut, whatever you want to call it, assist. I'm going to go a, a two-goal win, but I think it's going to be 3-1. Uh, I thought the Thorns were just a little bit sloppy in distribution out of the back, yeah. and this is certainly a spirit team uh, that can punish that. And so uh, if the Thorns are again a little bit sloppy, I would be surprised to see them get uh, that clean sheet. Uh, but nonetheless, I think this is a team that the, that the Thorns can take advantage of a little bit and, and can get on top of in the attack. So I think it's going to be 3-1. Christine Sinclair is going to have a big, big game. Uh, it's going to be her turn to star. She is going to have a goal and an assist. Timbers versus New York City FC, Jamie. Um, I'm not very confident uh, about this game, especially after <laughs> you and me. both. Yeah, uh, especially after um, the performances this season and even the uh, the way the Minnesota win played out. I'm going to go with the 3-1 New York City FC win. Um, and I, I'm going to, just for fun, I, I guess I'll go with an Audi uh, getting his second goal in two games. So fantasy fantasy MLS owners, go ahead and on Jamie Goldberg's advice, <laughs> pick up Fernando Audi uh, <laughs> for, for the week. But otherwise, going to be a rough go. Uh, I'm also going at a two-goal loss, but I'm going to say it's going to be 4-2. Uh, I do think the Timbers are, are, are going to you know be able to muster enough in the attack uh, to be a credible force in the game, but I just don't think they're going to be able to stop NYCFC. Uh, so I think it's going to be 4-2 to the Pigeons uh, flying over to, to to Portland to take some points off the Timbers. Uh, Diego Valeri, though, is going to come away with a goal and an assist. Um, okay, that's all we have uh, for this week. Uh, let's talk about the fantasy update before we let you go entirely. Uh, Soccer Man Portland Fantasy Week third place uh, is Bumgarner. That's Racing Club Day thing that's cut off uh third place with 625 points uh fcp lauren kaplan is in second with 633 and then the top spot this week goes to beer city fc 650 points massive week last week 134 points to take that top spot uh i slipped just a little bit to 30th mostly because my forwards were terrible but not as terrible as jamie goldberg's uh who scored zero points but only because jamie doesn't play that is it. That's all. That's all the Soccer Man in Portland we have for this week. That's Jamie Goldberg. I am Chris Reifer. You can find us every week on Stumptown Footy and OregonLive.com, as well as subscribing on iTunes and Stitcher. Thank you all for your questions. Uh, keep them coming next week. Enjoy uh, T2 uh, 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 against Rio Grande. Uh, the Thorns against the Spirit and the Timbers against NYCFC. We'll be back next week to talk about all of that and more. As always, until then, take care. <laughs>